1 uh, Timothy is where we're going to be spending the next few weeks as we uh, go through uh, the entire book and just try to understand from Paul as he writes to Timothy the things that God has for us in this day and age in our church and in our lives personally. Um, we're calling the series Blocks because uh, in the third chapter of this book, Paul says this uh, to Timothy, and, and basically it's based on this premise. We believe that 1 Timothy is all about building life on truth. That's why we're calling it Blocks because truth is kind of like Legos. You just take truth after truth after truth, you build your life. Uh, we get that from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, where it says, I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul saying to Timothy, I, I want to come visit you, but if I don't, I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may ha- know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So he's like, uh, you're a pa- Timothy is a pastor, if you don't know that, he's a pastor of a church in a place called Ephesus. Uh, he's been left there by Paul to, to shepherd this, this flock of Christians in this Gentile region, and, and he doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, like every pastor, as they start out, uh, that's the case. Just, you know, I'm, I've done this for a long time, still not really sure of what I'm doing, if that hasn't come across. Um, Timothy was, was one of us, amongst us pastor types, and so Paul is teaching him how to do this, and he's trying to teach Timothy so that he could teach his people how Christians uh, ought to behave in the household of God. How, how, if you're a part of the church, how, how should you live? If you are a, a follower of Jesus, how do you behave? And he says, he goes on to explain the church. He says, the church uh, is the church of a living God. God's not dead. No, he is alive. That's an old song. Uh, and, and so he's, it's a living church, it's a living God that we serve, and it says that the church, secondly, is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. There's that word buttress again. I love that word. Um, but he's, he's basically talking building blocks. He's talking about uh, the church is, is the foundation, uh, that's what a buttress is, and the pillar, the, the, the building materials of truth. And we talked last week about how there's all kinds of versions of truth in the world that we live in today. All kinds of competing truth models. But we believe, as followers of Jesus Christ, that in God's word, we are given the truth, capital T, the only truth. Jesus said, I am the way, say it with me, the truth and the life. Now, that's, that, that's what we, we seek to understand and seek to live by. And Paul says, hey, man, the church is supposed to embody the truth. It's the building blocks of the truth. And so what, what he gives us in First Timothy, and, and truly what the whole Bible gives us, is, are, are basically God's Legos. Here's how you build your life. Here's how you build your life on the truth. Last week we talked about uh, the, the opening part of this letter, Paul. Uh, you know, it says, it's me, Paul, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I was commanded to be so. He says, hey, Tim, grace, mercy, and peace to you. Gives him a triple-decker there, right? all these conferences of blessing. And then he just launches. Normally what Paul would do in his letters is he would start with some kind of frilly talk. I thank God always in my prayers for you, like he said to the Philippians, right? He usually starts with some thank yous. We're gonna get to that today. Uh, But he doesn't start with thank yous because in Ephesus, things were dire. There were false teachers, or were false teachers, there in Timothy's congregation. And apparently, Timothy was considering leaving. It It gotten so hard, he was considering bolting. And so in the third verse of of this book, Paul says, hey, man, just like I told you before, I need you to remain in Ephesus. Don't leave, Tim. And I need you to confront these people who are teaching these endless myths and genealogies, uh, these these false ideas in your church. You've got to deal with that. And so last week, we determined that one of the things, one of the building blocks of this life that we're living for Christ is that we've got to stay. We've got to stick to this stuff, persevere. And then from time to time, probably more often than we... uh, you know, uh, bother, uh, we, we need to defend the truth. 
Not in, you know, bullhorn on top of a mailbox, you know, uh, that's an old statement, mailboxes. Are there still mailboxes? Not really. Are there mailboxes that you, yeah, okay, well, maybe not. Anyway, but not a bullhorn kind of yell at people, defense of the truth, but a, hey, man, this is what I believe. Hey, man, this is what the scripture says. Hey, that's, that's not what I hold to because it's not what I believe. We need to be able to speak up on those things. And, we, and when we do, we need to speak the truth in love. In verse 5, Paul says, this charge I give to you so that love essentially may reign with a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. He says, listen, man, the whole reason that we stay and defend is so that love can, can win, can rule, not just in the church but in the world. So those were our marching orders last week. We're, we're going to kind of transition uh, to this 12th verse. I, I, I had this kind of skip over some other parts there. I encourage you to read those things. Paul talks about the law, who the law is for. And it's not for the just, it's for lawbreakers. He gives a long list there, very interesting stuff, uh, things that were ripped from our headlines, actually. Uh, and then he says, the law was given so that people who were offending the law could know that they needed a savior, and the gospel was given so that they might be saved. And, and <laughs> then he kind of flips here in verse 12 to some introspection. He starts in verse 12 and he says, I thank, but he doesn't thank you know, the, the, the Ephesians or Timothy, he says, I thank the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he talks about all the things that God has done for him. We're gonna get the testimony of Paul in kind of a condensed version here in the text that we're preaching today. But we're gonna see what Paul's thankful for. And we're gonna find out twice he says, I'm thankful for the mercy that was shown me. He's gonna detail for us in small uh, form uh, the, the ways that he was unworthy of God's grace. And uh, he's going to remind Timothy that if, if God can use someone like me and save someone like me, he can, he can work in anybody's life. Stay with us, Timothy. Keep going. God can use you. Paul was a, a great discipler. Uh, he was a, a, a Tim's discipler. He was Tim's mentor. And he wasn't just one of those guys who told him what to do. He showed him what to do. Uh, he took Tim from where he was living, and he said, hey, Tim, come travel with me. We'll go plant churches all over the place, and I'll show you what it is to follow Jesus Christ. I won't just tell you. I'll show you. It's kind of like that ER training method, see one, share one, do one. That's how Paul basically trained Timothy. I'll, 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 I'll show you what's going on. I'll teach you what's going on, but then I want you to share in the ministry with me, and then I want you, as he has done, to take over the ministry for me. But Paul imprinted his life. It's how discipleship, discipleship should work. It's not just a form that you read. It's a, it's a life that you watch. And if you're a disciple of someone, uh, more is caught than taught, right? And so Paul actually says this in uh, his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's this, this principle that we're supposed to uh, continue to live out in our day and age. As we follow Jesus, we should be showing others how they should follow Jesus in the lives that we live. So we're going to look at Paul, and we're going to try to emulate him in his, in his uh, story today. We want, to, we want to have the same kind of story, the same kind of attitudes that Paul portrays in his giving of his story in these next few verses. They're kind of the building blocks of truth. Uh, so the, answer, the question we want to answer is how should we seek to emulate Paul, uh, the apostle? The first building block is that we need to be grateful like Paul. Gratitude should mark the Christian life. Does everybody agree with me on that? Anybody ever struggle with that? Anybody ever wake up in the morning and not feel all that grateful? Kids are a pain right out, of the, right out of the gate, right? I mean, they just wake up needing. And so, you know, parents of young children, you can sometimes feel not so grateful for them. Uh, you go to your job, 
And depending on the week, it's harder than other times. Depending on your boss, it's hard all the time, right? And you can be sitting there punching the clock and cashing checks, but beyond that, you're just not that grateful. You, know, you come home, spend some time with your spouse, go to all the things that's required of you from your family, and you can just feel like your life is living you rather than you living your life. And it's really easy to stop being grateful. But Paul, in telling his story, reminds us of how important it is to push through all of the, the, the flack and all of the circumstance of life and to remember to be grateful for all that God has done for us. He says this in verse 12. He says, I thank him, Jesus, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and he appointed me to his service. Three things that he's thankful for. He says, I'm, I'm thankful that, that God, uh, Jesus, has given me strength Paul understands that in his work as an apostle, he doesn't get this done except that God, through Christ, infuses him with the strength to do what he's called to do. In fact, he says, I'm thankful that uh, Jesus gives me strength. I'm thankful that Jesus in the first part, or in the first place, saw me as someone suitable or fitting, someone who could become faithful in serving him if he just infused his strength in me. Now, this isn't saying that Paul thought he was you know, good enough or, or uh, smart enough or strong enough to be used in the, in the role. In fact, when we see him uh, un unveil who he was, he was none of those things. He was an opponent of the followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, but God knew that if he could just uh, give his grace and, and, and infuse his grace and strength into Paul's life, Paul would be faithful. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus Lord, because he judged me faithful. He, he, he saw me as someone who was worth the effort. And he knew that if his grace was in me, I could do what I'm doing. And not only that, he appointed me to his service. He, he put me in charge. He, he, he called me to something that I was not looking to do. Has anybody ever been found, found themselves doing something for Christ that they just didn't see coming? Uh, you know, your day's going just fine, and all of a sudden, phone rings, there's this huge need, and you are point. You are the point person in God uh, solving someone else's problems, and it wasn't on your schedule. Anybody ever been there? You're serving with third grade boys in Awana. It wasn't on your schedule. But there you are. Keep them off the drapes, right? There's all kinds of ways that God calls us, but isn't it great that he only calls us to the things that he knows he can do through us? He'll never call us to stuff that he couldn't accomplish in us and through us from calling us and, 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 and leading us in those ways. He's always... On, on the spot with the strength, with the trust, and with the appointment of service. When I was a high school student, I, uh, I had a good friend, Marty. He lived out in the country in the northern Maine uh, area that I lived in. And uh, one, one winter, the, the snow fell so heavy and so wet that it caved the old roof of the barn that uh, was on his property in. And so, you know, picture this huge hay barn uh, that used to keep cattle and stuff like that. They didn't use it for that anymore. It was just a big garage. Uh, but this barn's roof, you know, one of those big, eh, eh, you know, like you used to have in the Fisher-Price, you know, little people sets. Anybody remember those? Anyway, um, it just, that red barn, that just, it just caved in. So when the, uh, the snow thawed, uh, his dad uh, anointed, appointed uh, myself and Marty as the wrecking crew. Uh, Marty was 17, I was 16. Marty had a license, I didn't. None of us knew what we, you know, neither of us knew anything about what, like I tell you stories about my ineptitude as far as fixing my house now, picture me at 16, right? I mean, I don't know what uh, Marty's dad, yeah, thank you, sir. 
I don't know what Marty's dad was thinking, but this, this was a wrong play from the get-go. But here, Marty's dad was, was a, a very capable, handy guy, and uh, he had some really great tools. And so this is how the first day started. We got out there, you know, sun was coming up, and he, he had to go to work. He worked at the Air Force Base near my town. Uh, but he said, okay, here's the deal. He spent about an hour with us explaining in detail, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take the chainsaw. He gave us chainsaws. And you're going to cut all these beams, okay? Uh, and on the first day, I want you to cut all these beams. And then on the second day, he came out, same deal, spent about an hour with us. Okay, we're going to take these cables, and you're going to hook it through all these, you're going to drill holes and hook it through all these holes. And then what we're going to do today is you're going to pull the front of the barn from, the, from, the, from the, the bottom of the second floor uh, up to the tippity top, which is probably 25, 30 feet of barn, okay? You're going to pull the whole front of the barn over into the front yard of our, of our house using cables and a pickup truck. Still question the man's sanity, but that's what he told us to do. He said, make sure you got enough cables so that when you pull the barn over, it doesn't hit your truck, his truck, actually. But, uh, but that's what we did that day. And all we did was whatever he told us to do, we did it to the T, thankfully never having a chainsaw buck back on us or a barn fall on us. And, and, and in about a week's time, this completely unskilled labor force uh, had pulled this barn down to the second floor uh, uh, with just the two of us, a pickup truck and some chainsaws. Now, I, I can uh, uh, affirm to you that that was not possible uh, apart from the direction of our foreman apart from the provision of our foreman and all the cool stuff that he had for us to pull a barn down with, apart from the affirmation and the, and the follow-up of our foreman. He'd come home every night, and uh, we'd be knocking off work when he got uh, back to the house, and he'd check everything, and when things were unsafe, he'd say, you know what, let's stay away from this part of the barn. Um, he, he was the overseer, the oversight, the empower, the trainer, the mentor. He, he was the giver uh, of our abilities to accomplish this thing. In the same way, uh, when we follow Jesus, that's, that's what we've got to understand. We need to be grateful that everything that we face in life, uh, God has allowed or called us to, okay? Uh, he has empowered us and trusts us to follow him in it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be there. And then he is not just the appointer and the empower. He is the sustainer. He's the one who walks through anything with us. And, and, and for this all this to say, for this we must, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, be thankful. Christians are, uh, by definition, glass half full people. Now, I'm not saying you can't have bad days. I'm not one of those preachers who are up here and says, you know, Christians should never frown or have a bad day. And uh, You're going to have bad days. But overall, the overarching theme of our lives is it's a good day. Why? Because we serve a good God who's done so many amazing things. And here, here I, I talk with my son Cooper sometimes, he's 21. He's, you know, navigating life in college and some days are good, some days are bad. And, and uh, some days he comes home and, and we just talk. I'm so grateful that I still get to do that with one of my kids. He's still at the house and, um, and we just talk about his life. And some days he's just really down on Cooper. He's just really down on everything that's going on in Cooperville, right? And it's just, uh, you know, I, I'm the guy who's in his life saying, oh, but Coop, it could, and here's what I say. Do you ever say this to someone? It could be so much. Oh, isn't that true? And it's not often until people have heard that and thought about that that they're like, oh, yeah, that is true. Uh, yeah, school's hard, but at least, you know, I'm almost done my uh, associate's degree. 
Uh, yeah, you know, life's hard, but at least I have my needs met and these things. And it can always be worse. And I'm always telling them, hey, man, glass half full. Be grateful. Be thankful. Instead of focusing on what isn't, focus on what is and what has been given and what grace God gives in life. That's the first thing. The first building block is to be grateful, to be thankful. The second one is to be honest like Paul. Paul goes from talking about uh, being thankful to God for his appointment and all the strength that he's been given to accomplish what he's been called to, to talking about who he was before he was appointed. Though formerly, before I was appointed to this post as the apostle, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Opponent. Let me talk through those. A blasphemer, uh, first of all, is someone who uh, basically uh, denies the truth about God. And Paul was a blasphemer because he was denying the truth of Jesus Christ. He was, uh, as a Jew, persecuting this early church uh, that had formed after the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and he was saying that this, this carpenter from Nazareth, he's, just, he's, a, he's a charlatan, he's a fake, he's a fraud, he's a phony, he's not the Messiah. And in saying these things about Jesus, he was blaspheming the name of the Son of God. He was trying to get other people to do the same, to deny Christ. He did that by persecuting them. He would, he would go wherever he could uh, as a persecutor, and he would just he would gather up these early Christians and, and, and subject them to the Jewish laws of, of blasphemy and heresy. And, and he would say, recant, or be jailed, recant, or die. He stood at the, the stoning of one of the early uh, uh, followers of Jesus, a guy named Stephen. He held the coats of the guys who threw the rocks. And he was just privy and party to whatever would persecute the early church. He was an insolent opponent. I had to look up insolence. It's not what you use for diabetes, just so you know. Um, insolence is basically a, a violent reaction, uh, a, a, a dismissive, uh, merciless wrath. It's like, it's like looking at someone as if they're subhuman and treating them in, in the same way. Paul did that with Christians. He just didn't even see them on par with him. He was, uh, he was angry. Um, uh, reactionary, not just kind of in theory, but in, in action. He, he, he was an opponent of the church. And, and he tells us as much in his story as he expands on it in Acts chapter 26. He says, I myself uh, was convinced there in verse 9 to do, um, that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus. That's blasphemy. He says, I did so in Jerusalem. Uh, I, I not only locked up many of the saints, that's persecution, in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That was insolence. He, he, he was violently opposed to the faith. He goes on and he says, I, I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. That's that blasphemy again. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even the foreign cities. Everybody remember where he was going when he met Jesus? He was going to Damascus. That's not even in Israel. That's in Syria. And he was taking the show on the road. I mean, he was so convinced that this Christian thing was was wrong, that he was willing to leave his country uh, to pursue those who followed it. Uh, Paul, who was Saul at this time, was a bad dude. I mean, if you, you kind of go through the, the stories in the Bible, probably one of the worst. He, he wasn't just nominal. He wasn't just kind of minding his own business and God comes to him. He was enemy number one of the church in the day and age that he lived in. But Jesus looked at him and said, that's my guy. Some of us might sit here and think, well, I'm no Saul. I'm grateful for that. I mean, I've never been out there persecuting the church or 
You know, or maybe you have. Maybe you're like, I'm worse than Saul. You have no idea. But uh, some of us could kind of think that grace doesn't have to reach as far for us. It doesn't have to be as amazing for us because we're pretty good. But I want to remind us real quick, uh, just so we can kind of have this in focus and appreciate the grace that God has given us. I want you to know what Paul says to the Ephesians in his letter to them about who we are before we meet Jesus. So if you're a Christian here, this is who you were. If you're not a Christian, this is who you are. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but spiritually speaking, this is how Paul describes people without Christ. He says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Let's go through those real quick. Dead people are, are two things at least. They're unable and unaware. Dead people are unable and unaware. Uh, if, if you walked up to a corpse, that corpse is unable to do anything for itself. You gotta move it. Don't call the authorities, okay? Uh, but uh, but dead, dead things can't move themselves. Dead things are unaware. They've lost their ability to understand. And so spiritually speaking, if you're dead, which is what Paul just said we were without Christ, you are unable to do anything about your deadness, and you are unaware from the very beginning that you are dead. It's just not something that you're aware of. You're a trespasser. I was out out, uh, kayaking with Eleanor uh, yesterday, and we were going down the Alifaya, looking at some of the houses and some of the damage from Irma and stuff like that. It was was, you know, just a, a good morning to, to paddle. Uh, but we came upon this house, and it had this sign on its dock, and it said, uh, the best way to meet God is to pray. The quickest way is to trespass. <laughs> I thought it was a good sign. I'm, I'm figuring that guy's in the NRA. I'm just guessing. I don't know. <laughs> Probably a few weapons. But I thought that was a kind way of saying, don't come up here. But uh, we all understand trespassing. You can't, trespassing is basically crossing a line. You can't cross this line. If you do, this is trespassing. And what, what the Bible teaches us about sin is that there are volitional sins, trespasses, sins of choice, things that you knew you weren't supposed to do, lines that you knew you weren't supposed to cross, and you said, bug it, I'm doing it anyway. Somebody raise your hand if anybody here has ever known that they weren't supposed to do something and did it anyway. All hands. All hands should be up, because that is the human nature. We are in Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve were the first ones to trespass. They had a line, don't eat that, and they ate it. And since then, we're pros, man. We are good at trespassing. But we're not just trespassers, we're sinners. Paul makes this uh, inclusion. He doesn't, he's not trying to be emphatic by saying the same thing twice. He's, he's actually using two different words. Sinner there is harmatia, harmatia, and it basically means missing the mark. And so here's this this concept here of you're not just a trespasser, a crosser of the line, but you are someone who in and of yourself are unable to keep all of the commands of God because it's just not in you. You're just going to fail. We've talked about it before, but that's why the rules are available to us. It's not to make us righteous. It's to show us that we could never be righteous on our own because you just can't do them all. You can't keep them all correctly. I was visiting with Eleanor at this uh, friend's house in Dallas a few months back. They have a, a very smart, like, 13-year-old son who has, for whatever reason, found all of the old Rubik's Cube-type puzzles, like the triangle and the, you know, like, anybody remember those? You have to be a certain age. Uh, before screens, you know, we, we played with blocks. Anyway, uh, but, uh, you know, th- this Rubik's Cube, he hands it to me and he says, uh, hey, can you do this puzzle? And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm 48 years old. No, I can't do that at all. I think when I was a kid, I could maybe get one side. Who had a Rubik's Cube and could get one side? Anybody? Okay. But, you know, that was it. Well, he stands there, he's, and, you know, he's, he's a great kid. He's funny. 
But he's like, I can do it. And he grabs it, 45 seconds. And I'm like, I hate you. I don't like you anymore. You've just, you know, embarrassed me in, in your home, and I'm going to take you outside, and this is going to be fun. <laughs> but that, uh, <laughs> I was unable. I, I did not have the skills, the knowledge, the, the, the ability to do what he had asked me to do. And, and, and here's what you've got to understand. Some of you are like, well, why would God do this? No, God didn't do this. Sin did this. When sin came into our lives, we all went, and we were unable to accomplish in our imperfections, the, the perfections of God. It's just not in us. So this is not starting out good for those who are without Christ. Dead, trespassers, sinners, unable. Well, it's gonna get worse, here we go. He says, uh, uh, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses in which you once walked. Uh, you were following the course of the world, you were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul could not buy a period, apparently. It's just a long sentence. Is everybody getting that? And uh, he says a lot of things here, but let me break down kind of the, the, the most important parts, at least as far as us understanding who we are without Christ. The first thing is that we're world followers. We're world followers. He says, you followed the world. And, and when I talked last week about there being all these alternate truths, the, the, there's basically two sources of alternate truth. It's either other people or this. You either come up with your own version of what's true or you listen to someone else and you adopt their version of what's true. Uh, but those two things are in the world and those two ideas keep us or cloud us from following the things that are capital T true. And so he says, listen, what sin's done is it's made you your own God. It's made you follow people who aren't God, and, and you have adopted things um, that are outside of God's will. He says, you're not only that, but you're Satan followers. And some of you are like, well, slow down. Is that what it says? Yeah, if you go back to, to verse 3, it says, among whom you all once lived in the past, or excuse me, verse 2, uh, you followed the course of this world, and you followed the prince of the power of the air. It's, it's a a highfalutin title for Satan. He says, you, you followed the, the, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. You followed Satan. And some of you are like, well, no, Mark, I don't have like a, an altar set up in a black room in my house with a pentagram and some candles lit. That's not me. I'm not a Satan worshiper. Well, I'm not saying you're a Satanist or an occultist, but I am saying that if you aren't following God, the only other option is to follow his adversary because guess what? All of these other false religions and all of these other false ideas, all these other false truths, their author is our adversary. Because see, Satan just loves to get us, not all the way blown, you know, in the other direction, uh, you know, rebelling against, he just loves to get us kind of a couple clicks away from the truth. And so if he can get us into a cult, or if he can get us into this other religion, if he can get us believing that all the religions end up in the same place, or he can get us believing, that, that's all he wants. He doesn't want you to, you know, start dressing in goth and wear black makeup and all that stuff. He just wants you to not be true. And so he's commandeered. He's, he's got a monopoly on false truth. I went to the, I went to the airport uh, to rent a car in Boston for my vacation this uh, past summer, and uh, I, I thought I was getting this killer deal. Have you ever gone online and like rented a, a, you know, something like that? And I, I went to this really like off-off-brand car rental place, and I got this great deal. And I was like, this is so great. I've skipped over all the big boys, and I found this, you know, this private, you know, whatever. It uh, doesn't even have its own uh, logo. It's just said cars for rent or so, I don't know, something like that. 
Uh, so, so I go to the desk, and sure enough, right there in the airport, if you ever rented a car in an airport, there's all these, you know, budget, rent a car, you know, you know, it hurts, and all these, and I go down to the end of the desk, and I says, I'm here for my car, and the, and the lady who was renting me my car says, oh, we ran out of the size that you wanted, and I was like, well, that's not how this works, ma'am. When I make a reservation, you hold that car for me. She says, don't worry about it. And she basically stands up from her desk. She doesn't even have one of these cool kiosks. And she's just at like a desk, like, like your principal in your you know, high school. And she stands up at her desk, and she yells down to Hertz or Budget or someone, and she says, do you have one of these? And yells out the kind of car. And the guy says, yeah. And that's when I found out that all of the rental car agencies in the country are owned by three rental car agencies. There's three agencies that own all of the agencies. So if you run out of cars in this one, it's probably just a subsidiary of that one, and they can yell down to you, and you've got to go to their parking lot and get their car. But I was like, how am I beating the big boys if you're owned by the big boys? And that's what's going on with the truths or the versions of truth in the world. Here's the deal. If you are outside of God and his truth, as it's depicted in Scripture, you are with Satan and his falsehoods no matter how cool it looks or how close it looks. Are you with me? That's why Paul makes that claim. You're Satan followers. He calls us sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience. Daughters, you're in there too. But we are children of disobedience. He's just referring to us being uh, in the line of Adam, the first disobeyer. He and Eve were the first to disobey, and the acorn has not fallen far from the tree. And then finally, he gets to verse three, and he says, the result of all this, us being dead, us being trespassers, us being sinners, us being uh, you know, followers of the world, followers of Satan, sons of disobedience, it makes us children of wrath. And I don't know if, like, if you've been in the, in the faith a long time, you can kind of lose sight of the fact that without Christ, things were, are going to get and we're going to get really bad. I mean, not just in this life. But in eternity, if, if your sins, if you're sitting here this morning and you're kind of on the fence as to whether or not you want to be a Christian, here's what the Bible teaches. If your sins, uh, your trespasses are unforgiven, if you don't receive by faith what God has given us through Christ, then, then your end game, your outcome is wrath. And justifiably so. God set it up. He gave you the, the salvation plan to get out. You chose it not. What you deserve or what you've earned in doing that, the wages of sin is death. And people without Christ and his grace are children of wrath. I don't know if, if we've understood that. Uh, or, or, or that we wake up to it and we uh, uh, appreciate this amazing grace that we've been given on a daily basis. I can blow right past that. I can, I can just blow right past who I was without Christ and just live my life like I somehow deserve this grace. Like I somehow, um, you know, have, have merited God's favor. It's just not true. And we love to compare ourselves. I'm not as bad as Paul or Saul or whoever he was before Jesus. I'm not as bad as Hitler or whoever the other bad guys are. And we love to elevate ourselves based on how cruddy the person next to us is. But here's what the Bible says. Everybody is a hot mess. And every day you wake up to the grace that God has given to you, you should put a smile on your face. It should just freak you out. That's why they, they wrote the song Amazing Grace. They didn't write it, you know, pretty good grace, you know, kind of cool grace, um, you know, nominally favorable grace. Those aren't the titles of the song. It's amazing, amazing grace, because it is amazing. I don't know if you have some of those types of things in your literal history uh, that you look back on and say, wow, I was this, but now I'm this. It's amazing. My, my mom uh, 
uh, kind of uh, made a got a truck together for trunk together for every one of our kids or the kids that she has, my sisters and I. And she just put keepsakes. Does anybody have something like this, like a trunk that has all your history in it? No, just us. Okay, so uh, so it's all my you know my report cards from elementary school and my pictures from those grades and all that stuff. Uh, the Ronald McDonald stuffed animal, or I guess he's not an animal clown uh, that I had from a kid. But then in this one box, there are the impressions from my orthodontist's uh, office. I think that's a weird one uh, to have. Uh, but she assures me that these impressions, that if you've ever been to the orthodontist where they take the, the molding of your teeth and they basically show you the before and then they put braces on you for three years and you cut your lip on them every day that you're alive. And, um, but then at the end of the three years, they take the same molding and they show you where you came. And, and my mom has uh, put the old teeth of mine uh, <laughs> in my box to remind me that her thousands of dollars that went into my teeth, you know, um, you know, were really necessary because, just so you know, I don't know what happened in my genetics, but my teeth were all in the wrong places. There was a, you know, a gap in the front that I could put a quarter in. I had an overbite. I had to wear headgear to school for like a year and a half in, in seventh grade and eighth grade. Thank you, Lord, for humbling experiences. Uh, <laughs> but it was all necessary because my teeth were so jacked up. Listen, my teeth were so messed up that our orthodontist put my impressions on his desk so that when he would consult new patients and they would say, I don't know if you could fix this, he says, oh, no, no, check these out. <laughs> I was his trophy. You know, I think we should wake up every morning to a life that remembers who we are without Christ. So that when we reflect on the grace that he's given us and how straight he has made us, in his, we have been imputed with his righteousness, he no longer looks at us and sees our sin. He looks at us and sees himself because he has put himself in us and we are righteous, saved amazingly by grace. And so that's the part I want to leave you with. We need to be amazed like Paul. We need to be amazed like Paul. Paul says this, but I receive mercies. Paul says, listen, I was a persecutor. I was a, uh, you know, a, a blasphemer. I was insolent in my anger. Uh, but I, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in my unbelief. I was dead. I was unable and unaware. But Christ drew me to himself. And the grace of our Lord overflowed. Isn't that, isn't that a great principle of the grace of God? It's not just like a smidgen. Like, does anybody, did anybody grow up, you know, in a house that didn't have much? Like, my mom would make, you know, cookies, and, and we had to stretch those things out. Or my mom would have, you know, uh, you know just enough uh, uh, meat for a certain meal, and even though I was a growing kid, it wasn't like I could eat, because dad had to come home and eat, so we were not rationed, you know, overly strictly, but there was times where it was like, you could have a taste of this, but that's it. Who, does anybody grow up in that house? I grew up in that house. And, and so uh, the good things were usually in small packages. But with God, the good stuff, the gray stuff, overflows. You can't contain it. It's just, it's bleeding over the sides. It's just seeping over the edges. It's just grace upon grace upon grace. And here's what we think sometimes. Sure could use some grace right now. Not recognizing the incredible overflow of grace that we're already, already experiencing. You know, uh, it, we're focusing on what's not, and we're like, well, if God's grace is sufficient, how come I don't have the better truck? We don't recognize that the fact that you have a vehicle is a grace upon a grace upon a grace. The fact that you live in a house is a grace upon a grace upon a grace. The fact that you woke up and ate something this morning 
where huge percentages of the world aren't going to eat till tonight, if they eat at all, is a grace upon a grace upon a grace. Smell the coffee, Christians. We have been given much. And instead of waking up to what isn't, wake up to what is. And praise and glorify your God. In the passage in Ephesians, he gets done telling us about all our mess, and he, he finishes by saying one of my favorite phrases in the scripture. He says, but God, I was dead. I was a trespasser. I was a sinner. I was a, a follower of the world, a follower of Satan. I was a son of disobedience. I was a child of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you and I have been saved. I, 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 I just believe this. I think Christians, truly, if we're, if we're living in grace and we're focusing on grace, and this is my hope for this morning, I don't have a lot of go and do this and don't do that stuff this morning. I'm just trying to remind you of who you are in Christ or who you could be in Christ if you're not yet a Christian. Listen, you have been given so much because you needed so much. You're such a hot spiritual mess that God, in his grace, uh, rectified that situation. You should wake up every morning with a smile that you can't wipe off your face. I know it's hard to get there sometimes. It's easy to let the the glass seem half full. Or excuse me, half empty. I'm, getting, I'm going too fast. I'm getting excited. But here's the thing. It's always half full. If you got Jesus, it's all good, even if it's not. You ever had one of those days where you couldn't wipe the smile off your face? You know, like uh, hopefully your wedding day was kind of like that. I smiled a lot on my wedding day. We get to go home together. Yeah. Um, uh, there's just good days like that. My, my, my wife, I'm going to brag on my wife, Eleanor. She, she's the leader of an organization just down the road here, a place called Echo. Uh, they've been a, a nonprofit in our community for 30 years. They celebrated their 30th anniversary this week, and I got to go and be a part of that. And usually, you know, for 25 years, Eleanor's been my and one, you know, not my and one, but she's, you know, whatever. I'm the pastor, and she's the pastor's wife, which is whatever. But, uh, but I, I get to go to this thing, and I'm the director's husband. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just Eleanor's husband. It's awesome. So I love doing that, but I also love the fact that she and her team uh, you know, volunteers and, and staff, they just, they just do a great job. They just knock it out. And so uh, they pray hard about, you know, the things that they need, and, and God provides. And so this past week at this, this anniversary, uh, they got to announce that they were the winners of a very prestigious grant that was given by the Bank of America. It's usually gone to huge nonprofits in our community. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, usually you get grants for like $5,000, $10,000 for a year. They're usually saddled to some kind of, you got to do this, and you can only do this with the grant. Uh, in the nonprofit world, but uh, this grant was for $100,000 a year for two years. She got 200 grand in one slot. Yeah, yeah, God. Yeah, God. Uh, and, and when she found this out, I mean, she couldn't sleep that night. She couldn't tell anybody because they were going to announce it at this thing, but she, you know, she couldn't sleep that night. She pretty much didn't sleep for like a couple weeks or, you know, and for different reasons, but she, but she got to the final, the day that it was going to be revealed. And, and I just defy you, even with all the stress of putting this. Uh, you know, thing together and, and everything that went into having an event. Like, once it started, she just smiled. The whole, like, her face had to hurt. 
Because she just smiled the whole time. And when they finally brought out that big, you know, I call it the golf tournament check. It's one of those big checks for the pictures and stuff like that. And they brought this thing out. It's got a couple hundred thousand dollars on the number uh, spot. And, 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 you know, they hand her that. And everybody's cheering and screaming. I mean, it's just a huge deal. It's a huge portion of their overall uh, budget, you know, what they normally operate on. Uh, and they got it in one fell swoop. And, and she's just standing there. And I don't, you know, I love my wife's smile. And her, her cheeks are like flying off her face. And that's the life we wake up to every day with Jesus. Because if you think about it, you and I deserve nothing. And Jesus went to the cross and he wrote a big old fat golf tournament check for you and me called salvation. And he did it for us when we could do nothing for ourselves and he did it for us when we were rebellious intentionally and, and, and we were just choosing all these other false truths. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it gladly and willingly because he loved us just that much. And so when you and I wake up to this life with Christ, may he grant us the grace to see that the glass is not half empty. The glass isn't even just half full. The glass is overflowing with the grace that only he can give. Go and serve Jesus this week. Go and honor Jesus this week in your life. Because he has lavishly and amazingly honored you with his grace. Let's pray. Hey, Lord, thanks so much for your word and the, the chance to be encouraged by it. Thanks for stories like Paul's. We're all <laughs> in the same boat. Uh, we may not have been out persecuting uh, the early church like uh, he was, but we've all uh, started in the same place, uh, far from you, dead in our transgressions and our trespasses and sin. Uh, thank you for leading us to yourself. And Lord, uh, we can make this Christian life complex and, um, and certainly there are uh, lots of things that circumstances bring in our lives. There's lots of stuff to sort out. But at the, at the core, at the root of life with you is this simple truth that we were undeserving and you gave us grace. And because of that, we can face tomorrow. Uh, we can know that you, you are in control and that you, you have a plan even though we don't understand it. We can trust you. We can, um, even as uh, life seems to be falling around, around us, we, we can um, have joy and peace because of your grace. So I don't know who's here this morning if there's uh, people who are in the midst of a, a, a trial. I'm sure there are, a uh, struggle. Uh, and, and they've been looking at a half-empty glass. I pray, God, that you would remind them of your grace, that you, uh, like you did with Paul, give them strength uh, to be faithful and to walk this, this life that you've appointed them to, uh, not because they can, because uh, they're able, but because you can and you're able. Um, thank you for your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.